Hey friends, welcome to the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. I'm your host, Gwen DeSelm, and I am so glad to have you along with me today. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry and was the founding senior pastor of a church called Fellowship in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering help and hope to everyday pastors through coaching and other resources. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Well, in today's episode, Dave is going to be explaining some of the signs and events the book of Revelation says will lead up to the return of Christ. What's been interesting to me as I've listened to this message several times now is that though the world has changed a lot since the day Dave first gave this message, the truth of it has not changed at all. In fact, I would say it's more timely than ever. So let's join Dave now for Countdown to the Meltdown. Let's open our Bible to Revelation chapter 6, all right? We're about to enter into the portion of the book that most of us have been waiting for. This uh, series of cataclysmic events that will bring history to its dramatic conclusion. One of the words we're going to be seeing here in the, in the weeks ahead with great frequency is the word tribulation. So I thought before we get in the text itself, we would do well to understand what this term means. So if, look, if you would, to the side screens for a verse that Jesus uh, quoted back in John chapter 16. And I'd like us to read this out loud and together. Can we do that? So look at the screens. Let's read this out loud and together. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, there are two words in this text that I want you to understand full well and to make special note of. The first is the word tribulation, okay? Tribulation. The original language, Greek, the word here is thlipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. And the word has to do with pressure. In this world, you'll have pressure. In the original language, the word picture was that of a, a man laying on his back with a boulder on his chest. Great pressure. Later on, it came to a more general understanding of, in this world, you will have, if you will, a stress, pressure, distress, problems. When Jesus says this, he's not the only one who said it, and this is not the only time it's said. This word tribulation is used no less than 45 times in the New Testament. Here's the point. The Bible makes it very clear that part of this whole thing called discipleship Hand-in-hand hand with discipleship is tribulation. Pressure, stress, problems, even persecution that goes along with discipleship. In this world, Jesus said, you're going to have tribulation. This is very important for many of us to understand, not only for our understanding of the book of Revelation, but for the Christian life in general. Because some of you are just new in the faith. And it's an exciting thing for you to walk with the Savior. And you've heard the wonderful things, and it's so true, it is, that being a Christian means all of your past is forgiven. Being a Christian means your present is seen to with a whole new sense of capacity and adequacy. Being a Christian means you never have to be afraid of dying because your future is secured in heaven. 
You might have even heard the verse, Jesus again speaking, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And that's true. But that's not the only thing Jesus said. He also said, in this world you will have tribulation. I say this to you because I think an awful lot of you are going to get blindsided with the events that may happen in your life down the pike. You've been led to assume, perhaps by well-meaning friends, that as long as you're faithful to God, as long as you're obedient to His Word, that everything's going to go out great for you. Your finances will flourish, your health will be great, your hair will be thick until you're 80 or so. Your boss is going to constantly reward you on the job and look for ways to increase your salary and promote you. Your children are going to be so impressed with the wonderful parent they have in you, they're going to go around the house looking for chores to do. It's going to be a wonderful life. And the fact of the matter is, if you're tempted to hold on to such promises, Jesus said, yes, the abundant life of the Christian is a wonderful thing, but in this world you will also have persecution, distress, disappointment, pain, tribulation, because the fact of the matter is we still live in a sin-stained, Satan-controlled world. Now to be sure, Jesus has been given the title deed to planet Earth. By virtue of his death and resurrection, he now is on the threshold of taking back over control of this world, control that was lost way back in the fall in the Garden of Eden. But it hasn't happened yet. In fact, look at the screens again for a very interesting verse in the book of Hebrews. God has left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not yet see everything subject to him. Do you see that phrase, not yet? It's very important. We live in the not yet. We're going to share in Jesus' victory one day, but not yet. We're going to know ultimate triumph someday, but not yet. And living in the not yet means that we're living in the right now. And that makes it hard, because in the right now, it seems many times the good guys lose. Evil always triumphs. Death always wins. Wrong always uh, gains a victory over right. And we think, I thought we were going to win. I thought we were going to win. This is why you need to keep in mind the second word from this great verse in John 16, and that's the word overcome. In this world you will have tribulation, but I've overcome. I've overcome. Make no mistake, Jesus said. It's not going to be one laugh after another, but you will overcome because I have. So face whatever comes your way with a sense of triumph. Face whatever may come your way with good cheer. Take heart. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. And the fact is, whatever you may be experiencing right now, in the grand scheme of things, is only short term. And think about it. And there's some of you, before we ever get the revelation, you sit here today and you're not concerned about the end times. You know what you're concerned about? Tomorrow. You're concerned about your job this next week. You're concerned about your health to come. You're concerned about where your kids are heading. you got so many concerns. And I just want you to understand something, friends. Though you may be close to despair, the fact of the matter is Jesus said, I have overcome, and because I have overcome, you will overcome too. And no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're facing, it's only short term. So don't give up. Don't bail out. Don't quit. Don't quit. I just, I, I see some of your faces, and I know what you're going through, and I just wish I could take you by the shoulders and say, that, don't you quit. Don't you give up.
Some of you are thinking about bailing out in your marriage. Some of you are thinking about walking out on your job. Some of you are even despairing for your very lives. Don't you give up. And since I can't say that to you face to face, I'm going to ask the person next to you to do that. So would you turn to at least one person, look them right in the eye, and you tell them, don't give up. Don't give up. Go ahead, tell somebody that. Don't give up. Don't give up. All right? Now, having established the fact that we will be facing general tribulation in our Christian walk, the Bible also talks of a specific time of tribulation yet to come. It's called the Great Tribulation. And as we get near the very end of time, there will be a series of events that get uncorked that will spell uh, the return of Jesus. This is what's alluded to in Revelation chapter 6. We're going to be tracking through that this morning, but I want you to do something else in parallel with that. Find Matthew 24. Hold a finger in both places. We'll be going back and forth. I hope you brought a Bible. If you didn't, I want you to introduce yourself to the person next to you and say, I need to look at your Bible, okay? Revelation 6 and Matthew 24, we're going to be flipping back and forth. Matthew 24 first. Matthew 24, verse 21. Take a look. Jesus is speaking here. This is called the great Olivet Discourse. 24, 21 of Matthew. The Savior says, For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. Never to be equaled again. Look at the side screens for how the New American Standard renders it. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world, until now, nor ever shall. In this world you will have general tribulation, but there is coming a day when all heaven's going to break loose. There is coming a day when you ain't seen nothing yet. The great question we want to ask is, when's it going to happen? Who's going to be around to experience it? What will it be like? Over the next few weeks, we hope to be able to answer some of those questions. Jesus isn't using hyperbole here. He's not overstating the, the point. There's going to come a time that is categorically different from any other time in all history, and it's called the Great Tribulation. Now, holding a finger here, now you can go back to Revelation, because we're going to come back to Matthew throughout the morning. We last left Revelation in chapter 5, and there we saw uh, the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne with a scroll in his hand. The scroll, we said, represented the title deed of planet Earth that was alluded to in the book of Hebrews. Who can open the scroll? Who can unfold God's final purposes? Who can fulfill God's plan? Who can finally, once and for all, see the triumph of right over wrong? And they said they wept because no one was worthy to open the scroll until one stepped forward who looked like a lamb who had been slain. He took the scroll in hand. We know it's the Lord Jesus Christ. By virtue of his death and resurrection, he had the authority to take the scroll and the ability to break those seals one by one and open the scroll up so that God's climactic purposes could be realized on the planet. That's how we ended chapter 5. Now we pick it up in chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Notice here on the scroll, there are seven seals. All of these seals must be opened up before the scroll can ever be unrolled, which would seem to say that 
what we're about to see is preliminary and preparatory to the final end. We're about to see what I call the countdown to the meltdown. Now, keep in mind that not only are we reading this as 21st century believers, there were 1st century believers, contemporaries of the Apostle John himself, who were reading the same letter 2,000 years ago. Eugene Peterson writes about them. What's going on in their minds, that is, the people to whom John was writing, were these kind of questions. If the kingdom of God has been announced by Christ, what are all these Roman armies doing here? If the gospel declared God's love for the world, why are people proclaiming it, being put in prisons or dying on crosses? Why is it that Jesus lived and died and rose again and the world's getting worse? You ever wonder those questions? And to quote Annie Dillard, the greatest theological question of all time is, what in the Sam Hill is going on around here? The fact of the matter is, as you look at Revelation, it was put together so wonderfully by the Lord. In the first five chapters, we see the glorified Christ in chapter 1, the occupied throne in chapter 4, and the victorious Lamb in chapter 5. And it's as if the Lord is saying, now listen, listen, you are going to see in the next 17 chapters the most horrific stuff in all history, and I want you to never to forget the first five. Never forget the glorified Christ. Never forget the occupied throne. Never forget the victorious Lamb, because what's about to happen will really scare you if you forget the first five. Okay, That's how this all teases out and comes together. Now, let's take a look at these, at these seals as they begin to get broken. 6-1, I watched as a lamb opened the first of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. And the lamb opened the second seal. I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarters of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its, death, its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Pause right there. These first four seals refer to the four horsemen. Some of you perhaps have heard this phrase, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. What do they represent? What's being said here? Well, first off, we have a white horse. Of all the four, this perhaps has the most controversy. What does the white horse mean? There are some scholars, well-respected ones, who say, well, since Jesus rides a white horse in chapter 19, and he does... And since he holds a sword in chapter 19 and a bow here in chapter 6, perhaps this means that in the end times we're going to see the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth in unprecedented ways. And I could buy into that. that that's, that's good. That, that's certainly true. 
But I'm persuaded to go the way of another set of scholars who have just the opposite opinion. Theirs is this. The white horse does not represent Jesus' gospel going forth in the last time. It represents false Christs and false teachers going forth in the last time. Let me show you why I came to that conclusion. With your finger held here, and now go back. You should still have Matthew 24, shouldn't you? Head on back there and take a look at Matthew 24, verses 1 to 4. I want you to start watching the parallels and see if it's coincidental. Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things he asked? I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when this will happen. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now watch closely. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. I am the Christ, and will deceive many. I see a parallelism here with Jesus' words in 24 and the first horseman. The Savior says, you will know the countdown to the meltdown is underway when you see an increasing number of false messiahs, false Christs, who gather people to themselves and deceive them. The Apostle John himself in his first epistle wrote this, you see by way of the screens, Dear children, this is now the last hour. As you have heard the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Let me ask you a question. Have we seen in recent years an arising of false teachers who have gained a following to themselves and deceived many? Have we seen that? Certainly we've seen it down through history, but how about David Koresh in the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas? Hundreds were killed by virtue of this false teacher. How about the uh, Hale-Bopp Comet people? Remember the ones who were going to go meet the spaceship? Several dozen were killed. False messiahs, false teachers. And it seems like the Savior is saying, you will see this happen more and more as the end time approaches. Now, ultimately, of course, ultimately, there will be the Antichrist, capital A, the greatest deceiver of all time, who much of the world will see now as their Savior. Now, we're going to talk about him in a few weeks, but there will be Antichrist, small a, down through history. And this seems to be symbolized by the first horseman. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will continue his message in just a moment. But if you're enjoying this podcast, please take just a moment to rate, review, and subscribe, and then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Dave DeSelm Ministries depends on the generosity of people like you, so if you've been blessed by these messages, consider giving a gift to DDM. Just go to our website, davedesomeministries.org, and click on the Donate button. In addition to this podcast, Dave DeSelm Ministries offers other resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as devotionals for everyday disciples. These devotionals are filled with inspiration from God's Word that will encourage you as you follow Jesus every day. Go to davedesomeministries.org and you can browse through the over 150 devotionals found there. And while you're there, be sure to sign up to receive our weekly update, where you'll get the latest DDM news 
and a personal word from Dave every Monday. Let's get back to Dave now and the rest of today's teaching. Continuing on in Matthew, verse 6 and 7a. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. This is Jesus talking again. See to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Pause right there. Go back to Revelation chapter 6 and let's see if we're still parallel, shall we? Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. If the first seal, the first horseman, represents false Christs or false teachers, the second one represents war. Again, I ask you, is there parallelism between the two? I think there is. Second question, have we seen more and more war lately? We're not in the midst of world war right now, thank God. But it's remarkable to me that it seems like planet Earth is becoming more and more unstable. If it's not Desert Storm, it's Somalia. If it's not in Haiti, it's in Bosnia. It seems like all around the world now we're seeing flare-ups of warfare and we just can't even keep track of it. But, and here's where the horseman's hoofbeats get a little bit clearer. In that Matthew text that you have before you, it does not only say kingdom against kingdom, but nation against nation. Do you see that? Very interesting word in the Greek language. The word is ethnos, from which we get ethnic group. Now listen carefully. Jesus is predicting the time is going to come when we will not only see kingdoms against kingdoms and nations against nations, we will begin to see ethnic groups doing battle with other ethnic groups. Question, have we seen that? Kosovo, Bosnia, Serbs, Croats, Muslims, within one country going head to head, slaughtering each other. Africa, hundreds of thousands have been killed in Rwanda and Burundi as the Hutus and the Tutsis Two tribes slaughtered each other within a country. In Europe, the neo-Nazis attacking the immigrants. In our own country, how about the L.A. riots? Koreans, African Americans, whites doing battle. What are we seeing? It seems that the red horseman is riding with increasing intensity. Continuing on, Revelation 6, verses 5 to 7. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures, a quarter of wheat for a day's wages, three quarters of barley for a day's wages. Do not damage the oil and the wine. Well, what The black horseman, if you want to write in your notes, he represents famine. Famine. What about the wheat and the barley, you're wondering? Well, as it says there, if you could, you would have wheat for your day's wages. Barley was the lesser product, but the point is this. The time will come when it will take some people every bit of money they make just to get enough food to live. What about the phrase, do not touch the oil and the wine? Some scholars would say it could very well be in this time. The luxury items will not be in lack. It will be the basics of life. That is to say, while some will starve to death, others 
will live in luxury. The poor will get poorer. The rich will get richer. Question, are we seeing that today? I think we are. Is there a parallel in Matthew 24 to it? Well, as you go back to 24, look at verse 7. And the more I studied this, the more I thought, this is an amazing thing. This is an amazing thing. 24-7, nation will rise against nation. There's the ethnic groups, kingdom against kingdom. Look at this. There will be famines. Third horseman from the lips of Jesus. Finally, the pale horse of Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. Revelation 6, 7 to 8. The pale horse came, its name was Death, and that's what the fourth horse represents, it's just Death. Hades, that is the grave, followed close by. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. Seems like the Lord is saying, you will see more and more people dying from war, from famine. You will see people deceived. What about this thing, beasts of the earth? That's a bit more enigmatic, hard to understand. One scholar suggested that what we're going to see is the survival of the deadliest beast of them all, the rat. And that in the midst of the death and the destruction, the rat population will grow and we will see the disease spread by rats. And that it's speaking here about an incredible, horrific winding down of history over time which will only get worse, deception, debt, war, famine, death. The four horsemen show that history is about to wind down. Back in Matthew 24, Jesus likens these four things to something. 24.8, all these are the beginning of birth pangs, and you who have given birth know what that's like. The Savior seems to be saying here, as with labor, at first the contractions are minor and far apart. But as you get closer and closer to the moment of birth, the contractions get more and more severe and closer and closer together. And he seems to be saying, this will happen over years, but you will know that when you see the contractions getting more intense and closer together, then realize it's the countdown to the meltdown. Okay. But that's not all. Jesus said in 24.9, you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations. Hmm. Are those words coming true? Are we seeing Christians dying? This room's filled this morning. I bet there's not a one of you, even with the mayor here this morning, there was not a one of you who thought, boy, I hope he doesn't see me because I could get in trouble. I hope the government officials don't know that I came to church or I could get in trouble. Do you know that for millions of your brothers and sisters in South America and in Africa, in Southeast Asia, if a city official would have seen them in church, they'd be dead. According to a study by Barrett and Johnson, more than 40 million Christians have been killed since the first century. Listen to this. Since 1950, the last 50 years, 10 million have been killed. In 2,000 years, one-fourth have just been killed in the last 50. i got to ask you, are we seeing the countdown to the meltdown? We have yet to see that happen here in our country, thank God. But I thought, could it be 
that one day the waves of persecution will lap onto our shore as well as we get near the end. Again, making the comparison, is that spoken of in Revelation? Look at verses 9 to 11 of chapter 6. When he opened the fifth seal now, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Now keep in mind, this is apocalyptic literature, and as such, there's heavy symbolism. You shouldn't think necessarily all the Christians who've been killed will be below an altar in heaven. This is not a photograph, a conceptualized picture of the Christians who have died down through the years, and especially probably here in the latter days, who are saying, how long? How long before we're vindicated? How long will the kings of the earth keep winning? How long will your children keep losing? And the Lord says, be patient. There are yet some to die, and one day you'll be vindicated. The fifth seal represents the martyrdom of Christians. Finally, we come to the sixth seal. And in chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 29... Look what it says. Immediately after the distress of those days, I'm in Matthew 24, 29, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will shake. What's that mean? What's that mean? Watch the parallel in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 17. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. The stars in the earth, sky that is, fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. See if I can explain something to you. As best I understand it, the first five seals as they are broken is a series of events that have been happening for years. The four horsemen have ridden for years. They will ride with greater authority in the very end. Christians have died for years. They will, they will die, they are dying, with greater frequency in the very end. The sixth seal is an event that has no historic precedent. The sixth seal is an event so horrific... It is beyond any earthquake the earth has ever known. It is more than a massive shifting of tectonic plates. Something is going to hit planet earth, according to Matthew 24, that is going to be so tremendous as to literally change the landscape of the world. And it's never happened before. It'll never happen since. It is the sixth seal. It'll be an incredible thing. And that is what's alluded to here. The first five may be going on. The sixth has never before happened. And believe me, no one will misunderstand what it is. Now, when's that going to happen? Here's where it gets tough. We don't know. In fact, we don't even know when these first five seals are in the last chapter. 
Granted, there will be some things happening in Israel that is not germane to this particular Revelation study. But the one way that we're going to know, guess what? The seals, once and for all, are being broken. The only time we'll really know that is when this incredible event happens. What's going to happen? We don't know. Um, there are some who speculate. Perhaps some of you have seen the movies uh, Deep Impact or Armageddon. That's not just Hollywood. The fact of the matter is, um, just a few years back, an asteroid passed within 65,000 miles of planet Earth. And that sounds like a huge distance, but in cosmic proportions, it's like having a bullet graze our scalp. Will an asteroid hit the planet? Will a comet collide with Earth? We don't know. All we know is this sixth seal will be a God-ordained sign from the sky that will show the world. And look what's going to happen in verses 15 to 17 of Revelation 6. Then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals, the rich and the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who will stand? Who will stand? I think I can answer the question is who will stand as we prepare to wrap this thing up by looking one last time to, to Matthew chapter 24 and look at verses 30 to 31. Matthew 24, 30 and 31. Notice it comes right out of 29. We're talking about this great cosmic event in 29. Now look closely at 30 and 31. At that time, it seems like at the time of this cosmic event, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. Oh no, in effect they'll say. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now watch closely. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. I've changed my eschatology just a bit. I believe that at the time of the sixth seal, in accordance with Matthew 24, this is alluding to the rapture of the church. The first five seals will go, this horrific thing will hit the earth. All that's left is the seventh seal to open up before the whole scroll explodes. And inside that are the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments, which we'll talk about in future weeks. And they will hit boom, 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 down on earth, one after another, boom, boom, boom. And it could be at this time, if the parallelism is true, that before that hits, we will be gone. We'll be around for much of it. We'll be around for the persecution. But we'll escape before the very end. It's called a pre-wrath theory. It's a little tweak of a post-tribulation rapture theory. And we're going to talk about this event called the rapture of the church next week. All right? For now, let's wrap it up with three sound bites. They all come from Jesus in Matthew 24. In looking at all of this, you know, like it's real quiet in here, friends. It's real quiet in here. What do we do? Here's your first one. Stand firm. Stand firm. Jesus said in 24:6, Many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ will deceive many. You'll hear of wars. Do not be alarmed. Stand firm. Some of you right now are getting very afraid, and you need to know something. As with a mother preparing to give birth to a child, the birth pangs are not sign of hopelessness, but of hope. 
They are a sign of the ultimate dream that she's long awaited. And you stand firm and don't be afraid. In fact, I'm convinced that we will see the greatest evangelistic opportunities of all time in these next days. People are going to wonder what's happening. People are going to be desperate. And we have an answer. There is a God. He's on the throne. And if you know him, you don't have to be afraid. Stand for him. Second, keep watch. Jesus warns about false teachers. They're going to come out of the woodwork. We're told in multiple other places in Scripture, Paul says many are going to fall away from the faith. People are going to be deceived. And I just got to tell you something I'm very concerned about in the greater body of Christ, and some of you this applies to you. You were using this occasion when a flood, the economy is flush and your kids are so busy and your attendance at church is getting sloppy. You're not a part of small groups where there's accountability and community. You got to know something. Lone wolf Christians aren't going to make it through these days. Sloppy, lone wolf Christians are going to be uh, susceptible to deception. They're going to be susceptible to sin, compromise. We need each other. We need to gather together here and to celebrate our God. We need to be in biblical communities. We need to be in accountability relationships. Now is not the time to be a lone wolf. And I'll go to the mat in that one. I'll fight you tooth and nail in that one. We need each other. Keep watch. Third, be ready. Whatever your view of the timing of the rapture may be, listen, I could be wrong. You know what? It could happen this afternoon. I am not so arrogant, believe me, to tell you I've got this thing wired. I could be wrong. And we could go this afternoon. i got to ask you something as we close. If you have never come into relationship with Christ, you are still sin-stained, you're going to be left. And those horrific words that come out of the end of chapter 6 where people said to the rocks, fall upon us and shelter us in the wrath, those will be your words. Because that day is going to come. And Christians don't ever be afraid of that. We will never face God's wrath, never, never. Not one bit of it. We may face persecution, but we'll never face God's wrath. But if you don't know Christ, you will. And you need to come to Jesus. But that choice is yours. Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to know more about how you can begin a relationship with Christ and have the assurance of eternal life, We would love to have the chance to talk to you about that. You can reach out to Pastor Dave by sending him an email at dave at davedesellministries.org. Then be sure to join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.